Hi, this is uh, Frank Santo Padre, uh, formerly of the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Podcast, and most of you have no idea who I am. But because he asked me, because he begged me, because he offered me drugs, you have been listening to the Walter Paisley Movie House podcast. Podcast. Let me take that last part. Can you sew that together? Oh, sure. I'm going to leave it exactly as you said it, though. <laughs> You've been listening to the Walter Paisley. Boy, it's a shame Dick didn't live to see this. The Walter Paisley Movie House Podcast, hosted by the one and only Dylan Rory. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today's episode is brought to you by Alan Ladd's Free Range Chickens, where eggs aren't the only thing getting laid. Today's guest is someone I have been hoping to get for this show ever since I began it. He is an award-winning actor and producer behind such shows as The New Gong Show, Fear Factor, The Surreal Life, Jimmy Kimmel Live, I Survived the Japanese Game Show, Last Comic Standing, Crime Scene Kitchen, and the recent reboot of You Bet Your Life. No George Fenneman in that one, though. But the reason he's on this show is because of his involvement in creating the Paragon Cable Access award-winning Beyond Vaudeville, which ran on New York City public access from 1986 to 1996. The show featured celebrity guests, random puppetry, performance artists, outsider comics, and way outsider musicians. Recurring guests like Kevin and Bub, comic Neil Connie Wallace, Austin Velez, Joey the Monkey, and of course Suzanne Muldowney, also known as the underdog lady, set the bar for just how strange a cable access show could be. Celebrity guests are a mosaic of legends, both mainstream from the world of cult and television shows as well. Guys, I know these lists get long, but I cut down this one as much as I could. Guests included Kay Ballard, Carol Strachan, Jeffrey Holder, Wavy Gravy, Barry Williams, Joe Fleshaker, Mason Reese, Fred Willard, Al Lewis, Joyce Randolph, Joe Franklin, Brother Theodore, Professor Irwin Corey, Michael Berryman, Michael J. Anderson, Austin Pendleton, Austin Pendleton, you guys, he was in Skidoo, uh, Tiny Tim, Ron Polillo, Kitty Carlisle, Shirley Jones and Marty Ingalls, Kim Hunter, I mean, Kim Hunter, you guys, woof, uh, Larry Storch, the Del Rubio triplets, Billy Barty, Lady Betty Aberlin, Bobby Boris Pickett, Phoebe Legere, Sammy Petrillo, Sammy fucking Petrillo, everybody. Come on. Uh, and Shirley Stoller. And Shirley Stoller's a legend. I mean, the Honeymoon Killer's Frankenhooker. There's Mrs. Steve on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, after running for a decade on New York Cable Access, the show was picked up by MTV for, 40, for 66 episodes of Oddville, which was a slightly higher budget extension of what they had begun in New York. Please welcome the man New York Magazine calls the Wizard of Odd, Rich Brown. Uh, thank you, Dylan. Hi, Rich. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, you know, it's interesting in that lineup uh, that you chose of our stars on uh, Beyond Vaudeville that you included Joe Flyshaker. It tells me a lot about the show that I'm on here. That, uh, yeah. That uh, <laughs> you put Joe right up there with uh, Oscar winners, uh, Kim Hunter and Shirley Jones. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is we're focused mainly on cult film, cult television. And I mean, by God, if Beyond Vaudeville doesn't fit that mold, I don't know what does. Um, so let's go back a little bit before we get too deep into it. You grew up on Long Island, is that right? Okay, so like yeah, the, basically Island, the suburbs uh, of New York, 
Yep, uh, out in uh, Amy Fisher, Joey Buttafuoco country. Um, <laughs> and uh, for anyone who remembers those legends, the Long Island legends. Um, yeah, and uh, grew up on Long Island and just, um, you know, started getting drawn into the nearby New York City um, mm -hmm. in high school. And and um, what drew yeah. you there? I mean, aside from it's New York City. <laughs> uh yeah well you know it just was uh it, it at the time uh new york city in the late 70s early 80s was a real interesting place um and you know there were a lot of characters on the streets and um a, a lot of those people you know that i started befriending um would eventually find their way onto the show and and um and and likewise even on long island um i found myself going to a lot of talent shows at the local holiday inn and um even in in high school like this stuff just uh, uh attracted me you know mm -hmm. at an early age yeah okay i can relate to that so uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so you at, at nyu is where you started to meet the people who kind of directed the course of your life from there of course david green who became your co-host on this um you guys were both working for The Plague, the New York University humor magazine, correct? Yeah, I first met uh, David in um, uh, as a freshman. I took an intro to philosophy class, which was a mistake on my part. I <laughs> couldn't grasp the whole idea of, you know, is the chair really here if we leave the room? And But of course, it was right up David's uh, alley. And um, um, <laughs> But he was uh, he was a character even then. The first time I saw him, he his he he had a habit of um, showing up to the class about three minutes before the bell, the ending bell. Um, and you know, with his tall, he would come in with his Barnes and Noble book bag and his very straight gait, and uh, he would just you know have this grin on his face, and he would just walk into the classroom and take a seat and there'd just be a little tittering and chuckling in the classroom is like who is this guy and why is he always showing up three minutes before class ends for listeners who aren't familiar with the show how tall is david uh oh boy i don't know i mean he's he's certainly over six feet um, yeah he seems uh, so towering on on the on the show and things so <laughs> yeah and a lanky figure and yeah mm -hmm. so he's uh he's a tall guy but he you know dave uh david is um he he's a character himself you know yeah. he's really uh um uh eccentric but lovable and um <laughs> um and uh it it would be challenging sometimes working with him because he would say that, you know, he couldn't uh, predict what he would do when he was on the show and we couldn't steer him to do anything really. Um, it was, it was when he got in that mode, that, yeah. uh, that's what would dictate his behavior. So when you guys were were starting out, getting to know each other, and started talking about doing performances, um, now I know he he did this weird shtick where he'd just fall on the stage and do convulsions, and like that was his act. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it uh, it kind of grew out of that. Uh, he um, he would get he would sit down on a chair and he would put himself uh, in another zone in his mind um, where he was experiencing uh, pain. 
and um, and the pain would grow more intense the more he would think about it. And so he would get to a point where he would be convulsing and screaming, and um, and uh, um, we ended up giving it the name Thomas Paine for lack of anything better. <laughs> uh, what this performance was, um, but he would also. Um, you know, sometimes uh, he would uh, um, pretend to be Mr. Sirius, and Mr. Sirius was a guy that, you know, we would, uh, as other college kids, would try to provoke him and, and poke him, and uh, he would just remain very serious. So um, it, it sort of, I think, what he became on the show kind of grew out of those things. Yeah. Okay. It at what point then when you're working on this this magazine which is still in print uh for listeners you can find the plague online um i actually went back and read some of the issues you edited um so <laughs> it's just a lot of fun um you, you can't burn them on the internet yeah <laughs> even though you want to um <laughs> with coming out of that was it was it kind of like I, I kind of get the feeling in reading the history, it's a bit like the lampoon where it's like, okay, you know, this is working in print. What else can we do with this? What other mediums are there? Um, I know you've credited um, the Roy Radin's vaudeville 81 as being a definite influence. It kind of opened your mind as to what was possible on stage. What was that about? Yeah. The Roy Radin show was uh, it, it was, it was phenomenal for anyone of us who is into, you know, old, showbiz and um you know roy radin was the impresario who um got himself into some trouble uh during the cotton club murders and yeah. wound up in the desert you know uh, um uh, snubbed in a in a bad drug deal but you know his prior to that um mm -hmm. he uh was known in some circles for putting together these traveling vaudeville shows and it would be he'd usually have one um um you know comic as a a, a known comic or a once known comic who would host mm -hmm. and they would introduce you know about 10 different acts and they would just travel around to auditoriums they would usually uh um get deals with uh local police organizations to try to draw a crowd mm -hmm. and they go into an auditorium um and i saw one of these um when i was uh still in uh uh, well, I guess I was in college at this point and um, uh, and it was out on Long Island and, you know, it it just really spoke to me. It was, you know, Tiny Tim was there. The, it was uh, emceed by Jan Murray. Uh, they had a um, uh, See, John John Carradine was there. John well. Carradine. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that was amazing. One of my, favorite That's just moments amazing. um because yeah Carradine um he came out and by this point he was uh, crippled with sure very crooked yeah and, yeah yeah and he stood at the podium and you know this was a crowd of just a lot of like youth groups that I guess had you know they just wanted to put these kids into a place when it was a matinee they wanted to put the kids into a a, a theater somewhere and the kids weren't <laughs> these kids had no idea who John Kids was, had no interest. Yeah, and um, and Carradine gets up and starts um reciting uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and his microphone goes out. So everything that could go wrong for this poor guy was was going wrong. Uh, they finally fix the mic, and the crowd is like really restless of all these kids. 
Um, and the way the show was set up, the hosts would come out every so often, but in a lot of cases, they would have uh, the act introduce the next act. And okay. so he finishes, you know, the crowd is just so over him and um, he has to introduce the next act. And he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome <laughs> Zippy the Chimp. And <laughs> Zippy in a little sweater with zip on it, skated out onto the stage on roller skates and the crowd went, wild that's amazing <laughs> they were so excited and how so surreal that must have been yeah <laughs> yeah and it just uh and afterward um one of the great things about these shows is they would travel around the country in a bus and um after the shows in the parking lot they would all stand outside the bus for autographs mm -hmm. and that's where i first met tiny tim and um and uh, uh, who else was there? Judd Strunk, um, who had been on Laugh-In for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, Johnny Brown, who had been on Laugh-In. Um, and um, I was talking to Judd Strunk and uh, could see John Carradine sitting in the bus, just, just staring straight ahead um, and uh, wasn't partaking in the autographs at all. And I, I asked Judd, like, you know, does, is Mr. Carradine going to come out? Can we talk to him? And he was like, no, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really participate in any of this. So it was a very strange uh, final chapter for yeah. John Carradine. And his, for, uh, his arthritis was so bad at that point that, I mean, he was barely able to move the poor guy. Yeah. 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 And, and it just, it, it wasn't the right venue, but you know, mm -hmm. it, but somehow it just all was working for me, you know, just these this idea of just this variety of acts of varying levels of of quality and and just the whole variety of it and the surprise yeah. of it. Um, and um, so, you know, um, being on the humor magazine, we had uh, an opportunity to um, to do events at the school and. So that was uh, that was one of the one of the events we did was a, a Beyond Vaudeville stage show. Yeah, so that was the genesis of it, and um, and it and the format really didn't change much by the time it made it to cable access. It was it was your hosting um, and bringing on just a variety of people. Well, yeah, I mean, initially, um, um, initially we tried a couple of shows. Um, and the host was actually uh, Michael Kaufman, uh, Andy Kaufman's oh, brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and we did a few of those, and they were um, they were more scripted, and um, and it just got to a place where we wanted to just make the whole thing looser. And mm -hmm. um, and Michael was a, a CPA. It wasn't really he he was sort of dabbling in comedy and yeah. Um, but it wasn't, he, he wasn't really, he, he wasn't really interested in, in continuing with it. And that's when, uh, I came in, I had been, um, working with this character and, and doing some stand up and, um, and, uh, and then I called David to bring him in and, um, and then, yeah, just doing it with a lot of the guys that, um, that were there with us on the plague. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we went up and we'd rent the studio time for 
$54.13, I think. <laughs> each, um, <laughs> and um, they would give you one camera, one camera guy who would jump between two cameras. And yeah. They'd, um, they'd give you a director. And then uh, Steve Korn, who was a guy that worked uh, with me on all the shows, um, he would be in the booth with the director and he'd be the yeah. guy saying, hey, get the shot of that guy staring while this one is singing and right. all that. <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> well with the with the stage show uh at some point then you started bringing in also the celebrity hosts like danny bonanducci um al lewis um and the mason reese all three ended up hosting on those stage shows too yeah yeah um <laughs> pat cooper barbara felden um they hosted also yeah on those yeah. wow yeah barbara um, felden that's great yeah yeah she was she was great she was good sport and um how were we, you making uh, these contacts um usually uh in in almost all cases um they were in the phone book um yeah. this is when there was a phone book and right. um and yeah even imogene coca i mean these are people wow. that listed in the book and yeah. um uh, I would often um, uh, book uh, the non-celebrity talent, and David actually would book a lot of the celebrity talent. I would okay. get him the number and say, hey, David, see what you can do. And mm -hmm. David would be very uh, persistent if he um, uh, he would call. And if he didn't get an answer, um, he would call back again and call again. And <laughs> he would call some of these people daily. Um and um, and over time, as you know, it, it sort of compounded, uh, you know, once we had a few um, mm -hmm. known guests on, David would just read off the list of people who had been on. And yeah, and um, and that kind of helped us going forward. Wow. And, and it also helped us that we were flying under the radar and and a lot of people didn't really know or understand what the show was when mm -hmm. they were coming in so yeah it, when and I, I i know you've got some uh some people who just walked uh but for the most part guests would go in there and and stick it out that for for the listeners the show was barely contained chaos um it, it it's there's constant activity going on within the show um even when someone's performing, you're all behind them doing whatever the hell you're doing. Uh, one of my favorites is you just eating an orange throughout the episode. <laughs> it's I think it's a Mason Reese one. Absolutely hysterical. That's going on behind the scenes of everything. And there's puppets coming out of the walls. And it's just craziness. Was the idea um, that, that, that sort of, of barely contained chaos... Um, it almost comes off as Dadaist. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what you guys were hoping to achieve uh, with, with it. I mean, it just, um, it, it kind of grew out of a couple of things, you know, it grew out of um, really being a fan of a lot of public access shows of the mm -hmm. time. Um, and there was a lot of chaos on a lot of public access shows. Because yeah. People were, you know, experimenting and there were some real eccentrics hosting some of those shows. Um uh, change yourself but not the world was a big i know that was an influence for you that was a, a hairdresser from alsace lorraine 
Yeah. And his uh, sidekick was like Joe Franklin's errand boy. And, yeah. Um, and he was very hyperactive. And so uh -huh. that created a lot of energy. But, you know, growing up with um, um, Mad Magazine, you know, mm -hmm. and just those Sergio Oragonis drawings. And yeah. Just filling in every space and like, and, and having fun with, you know, the filler too, you know. Yeah. Um, just it didn't have to all be we you know what was on center stage um and um uh you know and also uh growing up really enjoying like the joe franklin show um mm -hmm. the uncle floyd show was a show we had yeah. in new york which was well it was new york new jersey and yeah getting around there and um uh you know and and that that was a, always a favorite of ours too you know just that looseness of it and um yeah. so um yeah so that's i i don't know all those things coming together i think kind of uh you know in, inspired us to do more than just you know the one person performing to mm -hmm. the camera it's it's interesting how it it grew into what it would it would it really hit its peak i think um the and, and for listeners, all of these are available on YouTube and I'll put links on the, in the bio for this. Um, as you watch it evolve, it, it really did all that changes is really the look, the aesthetic, the, um, the, the underlying kind of, I don't know. Well, with David's case, it's just kind of this underlying anger at all times. that's going to erupt while chaos just erupts around him that stayed throughout. And it's it's probably one of its best charms, I think. Uh, watching Al Lewis watch a performance artist read poetry with just a baffled expression, where the camera becomes a character, um, mm. and and th those are some of the best moments in it. When the, the like you're talking about, the camera switches to watch someone watch someone else, like Stryker singing songs about Long Island. <laughs> it's uh <-huh>. just insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they um but the, the sets would definitely change and we'd go through phases you know where there'd be certain posters that would mm -hmm. be on the wall until we ended up losing them or ripping them or yeah. whatever and then it would change to another poster and but we, we we would always have um the way these public access studios would work is you'd have um a very small window of time to to get in and get out so mm -hmm. Um, so we often would have to just, you know, throw those sets together and we just come with a bunch of bags of stuff and everybody would just scramble and, and tape stuff up anywhere they could and, and get started because there yeah. was going to be another taping that was coming in right after us. So, right. um, yeah, so that, um, that kind of haphazard look that we had was, you know, um, dictated in mm -hmm. part just not having much time <laughs> excuse me what was it the same studio then for anybody doing a cable access like would frank massey walk in and set up for stairway to stardom right after you guys left and things um yeah we um we ended up using three different studios um the first studio was like way uptown really almost like right to the river like 218th street wow and then we would alternate between um, a studio on West 59th and a studio on East uh, uh, 14th. And they uh, both of those studios were privately owned. Um, you know, public access. Okay. Was, yeah, it was really public access was a, a big headache for the 
cable companies. You know, if they had their way, they wouldn't have had the channels at all. I wish they hadn't thought of it. <laughs> yeah. And they, well, they, it was dictated, you know, when, when the cable act went through, it, it was dictated that um, cable um, companies in order to get their franchise would have to offer up channels so that the community could do their shows. And, yeah. You know, with the best intentions of talking head shows with people, talking local politics and um so uh but of course that's not what happened especially in new york it yeah. just you know every uh every eccentric in town you know wanted to have their own show and mm -hmm. um, so uh yeah so so i i i mean the stuff you would see on public <clears throat> access one night i i remember the uh seeing this show where it was like a a guy who was naked in his like dirty apartment in the lower east side and putting uh cat food on his groin and having his cat come over and eat the cat food and so this did you try and book him the next day <laughs> he's the one who got away um yeah so you know it it definitely wasn't the, the cable companies didn't want this but yeah <laughs> but people watched these channels, you know, it was, um, it, we would, we would hear from lots of people and we'd meet people mm -hmm. on the streets and, and when we would do our live shows, a lot of people would show up. So, um, you know, in, in spite of, um, corporate disinterest in it, the, the shows had, had followings. Yeah. Well, I, it is interesting. I mean, I, uh, I was one of those guys who was on the little underground videotape network where we'd all just kind of meet through snail mail and we'd send each other video. You know, I'd trade a Herschel Gordon Lewis cassette to get something weird out of New York. And that's how I discovered you guys was on an old taped over video cassette. I, I actually remember it was um, the Al Lewis episode and somewhere in the middle, it glitched and went to whatever it was recording over, which was a soap opera. And then it came back. So I just remember at one point in the middle of it, it would glitch. And so when I finally saw the whole thing, I was like, Oh, that's what I missed. But <laughs> At what point did you guys start feeling that this is growing to something beyond just a regional cable access show? Um, well, you know, it really, we were doing it like for 10 years and, you know, it, it, we, we, we definitely had our moments, you know, it was like uh, when, when Roseanne and Tom were together, they called me out of the blue and, and, she was like, I want to produce you, you know, and, and yeah. like, so we would get like bites like that. And yeah. um, they, they split up shortly afterwards. So that dream. You had him on the show then too, right? Yeah. So yeah. then uh, eventually when he was coming to town, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, well, yeah, you guys aren't together anymore, but we'd love to have you on the show. And, and mm -hmm. he, he was really uh, nice and, and came on and yeah. And, um, uh, and uh, when I first, Years later, when I first moved out to uh, L.A., you mentioned a gong show. It was mm -hmm. it was actually um, it was one of many gong show pilots that were done to try to recapture yeah. you know, the, the magic of the Chuck Barra show. And um, and Tom was hosting it and he um, he brought me in to like uh, work with him on that. So that was um, that was like one of my first um, L.A. opportunities. Wow. was from Tom. So um um but anyway so at about you know 10 years into this it it really um because we would only shoot like maybe one show a month you know mm -hmm. so um 
Um, that's why, you know, even over all those years, we didn't have all that many episodes. Um, yeah. And, um, and I was really getting to a point where I was kind of, um, you know, maybe it's time to wrap this up. You know, we did, we have gotten a lot of attention with it, not really sure where it's going. And, mm -hmm. and then of course, MTV called us and, and, uh, we were able to play for a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> it, so when the show itself, how much, I know you, you mentioned earlier that David could be a little difficult to work with because you didn't know what he was going to do, which was a question I had, you know, how much of this was planned? Um, cause there are, there are moments that seem like bits, but it's very difficult to tell, um, there, where, uh, there's one where you've got a Charlie McCarthy doll and he just knocks the head off of it. <laughs> and, and uh, I, I, you know, obviously that stage, the head's just not going to fly off, but right. then it, it kind of turned into was how much of this was aimed at making the guest uncomfortable or was that not your intention at all? Um, Yeah, that kind of, uh, that kind of grew. I think, I think, um, uh, you know, we, we were all big Andy Kaufman fans, right? Mm -hmm. We all grew up with that. And in, in fact, um, I actually met him, uh, with one of the, um, uh, one of the NYU events that, that, uh, we had done was a night of uh, wrestling pro wrestling. And it was with a, a wrestling outfit out in, um, um, Brooklyn and mm -hmm. they, uh, it was Latino and they, they, I don't know, it, the, the event was a dud. We, we basically had a, a big, um, you know, we had a ring put up and, 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 uh, it just, it just had bombed. Uh, so, you know, I was feeling lousy about it and we're taking down the ring and, and, um, in walks Andy Kaufman, um, who had seen one of our flyers that we had hung up in times square. And, um, he, he came down to see the wrestling and, wow um and so it, you know suddenly the night went from just uh misery to to <laughs> an amazing moment for all of us yeah and, uh, uh and he started challenging you know uh, some of the women there to um uh, to wrestle with him and <laughs> and he was telling us about um you know well you've got to do this again and the next time you know you have to make sure you get your uh one of your deans involved and make him into a bad guy and bring him into the ring. And, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, that was really cool, but, but yeah, that, you know, I mean, what he used to do with a, a lot of his, um, performances with, you know, giving people that kind of the audiences, that kind of discomfort, it, it mm -hmm. definitely was something that, um, was appealing. Um, yeah. to us. and, <laughs> um, but, you know, over time, uh, I, I, I was bringing some of that in with myself in the beginning, but mm -hmm. then over time, um, I really took on more of a role of just trying to be the, the good cop. Keep uh, it on track. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, cause you know, I, I really, um, a lot of these people that showed up on there were people that, um, you know, I, I really was, uh, fond of and, yeah. you know, William M. Gaines from Mad and all, yeah. all people, like yeah. you know that that um, I I did want to give them their due in the, as best I could in that environment, you know, mm -hmm. trying to at the same time bring out eight performers who <laughs> all wanted 
30 minutes a piece and right and um <laughs> so yeah so th- and so that that kind of fell on i think a lot of that discomfort kind of fell on uh david yeah I'm <laughs> you could it's it's interesting to watch you can you can tell almost immediately the guest who is who gets it and they're going to roll with it as compared to the guests who are like Austin Pendleton is is one of my favorite episodes it's he's it's almost like he's just enduring it as best (laughs) he can and uh then when he and and Lady Aberlin get into this long discussion about SAG rules and unions and (laughs) it's just so weird this mundane conversation going on around all this chaos is just so interesting to watch and I, I it's when uh, those moments where David is really making a guest very uncomfortable, which is noticeable. Um, how much authority could you hold to try and get him calmed down? I, not much, really. And, and that that was um, so, you know, if, if if I come across as kind of nervous and anxious in those moments, it's, it's because I was, you know, yeah. I, David would get physical sometimes. He'd get physical with me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um uh, one time there was uh, actually you mentioned Shirley Stoller earlier. Um, there there was like um, somebody from the back was bringing out a pinata or something. Yeah. He grabbed it with his hand and just threw it, and it grazed her head. And you know, so there were and she was uh, pissed too. <laughs> yeah, she I just was visibly pissed. <laughs> yeah, I, she well she uh, she didn't and she doesn't seem like somebody you'd want to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I there definitely were moments like that or or even with um uh William Gaines, you know, he's sitting on the couch and David is like climbing on the couch and he's like right mm-hmm. near him and so there were there were things like that where um you know, I I never would have done it and mm-hmm. I don't know that I don't know that David as, himself would have done that, but David mm-hmm in this mode would just do this stuff and um yeah it 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 could get uncomfortable yeah i was wondering if those moments were embarrassing for you you know you're you're sitting there with a legend like shirley stoller and you can tell uh oh, <laughs> she fist <laughs> yeah, it's yeah i mean i definitely there'd be times when it, you know i i would want to control you know but mm-hmm. i just i i couldn't you know yeah it just um you know there's there was one show early on where david like took my glasses you know he just came over and grabbed them off my face and i i just felt naked you know <laughs> and you know i'm begging him to give them back and and i'm not sure that he's going to give them back and it and it and it takes him a little bit and then eventually mm-hmm. you know threw them back to me or something but mm-hmm. um yeah but i guess you know that that spontaneity is uh is a positive thing mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's something that really is lacking in a a lot of tv now it's, oh yeah everything is so tightly um scripted or prepared, mm-hmm. and uh there's not a lot of room for that so um i you know i i like it in in stuff that i watch and mm-hmm. um so um we were providing some of that for for our listeners, can we just kind of walk through a typical episode uh, for listeners who may not know? Let's just say show starts. 
How do, uh-huh. where does it go from there? <laughs> um, well, usually, um, we would start the show as it would be myself and I'd introduce David and, uh, I would show some, um, uh, knickknacks and tchotchkes mm-hmm. uh usually pop culture kind of stuff and um and and you know i see that stuff now and i'm like wow why why did i get rid of some of that stuff it's so cool <laughs> you know like weird old mr t things yeah and, that's exactly and, the one i was thinking of <laughs> yeah t and bank or whatever <laughs> different mr t stuff and charlie's angels and all that stuff and um and uh so we just kind of set the tone and with the and, disco the disco star wars theme would play uh yeah we as used you'd that, go through the uh, handwritten credits and david would read them which yes. is always a joke <laughs> yes uh, the, the only time you would usually ever hear david speak would yeah. be him reading <laughs> up the credits very sternly and mm-hmm. um yeah and handwritten credits so everything was very sort of you know um low rent and mm-hmm. uh uh, and then we would usually uh, introduce introduce the first guest. Um, sometimes there would be um, one of our eccentrics already seated out there because mm-hmm. we just had so many people. Um, we would tend to overbook the show because we um, we just never knew for sure who was going to show. Gonna show. <laughs> um, and sometimes with the celebrities, we would um, we would double book, and and sometimes they'd both show up, and that's mm-hmm. why some shows they would show up like that. But that was usually in a case where we were nervous that somebody might not. Show. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, celebrity would come out, and and uh, we would you know I would ask them questions about their career i did research as best i could uh pre-internet and Mm -hmm. uh, um and uh and then we would just start bringing out the guests and in most cases and uh, ideally the celebrity would stay out there as we'd bring out the the next guests Mm -hmm. Uh, and um and then the guests would the, the those other guests would just be a variety of um a variety of people ufo experts um Marilyn Monroe conspiracy theorists. Oh, one of my favorites. Um, you know, all sorts of collectors and um, would be performers and um, a lot of people that I would meet at science fiction conventions. If I mm-hmm. saw somebody who looked interesting to me, <clears throat> strike up a conversation and and then kind of, um, you know, uh, go in backwards, figuring out how, what we would build them as and what mm-hmm. they would about and so um you know somebody would become an expert because they you know knew a lot about star trek or right. um or you know when all else failed they'd be a raconteur or mm-hmm. uh you know, something <laughs> generic um, and um and and you know one of the things that uh we would strive for would be to um, get interaction going among the panelists because that's mm-hmm. where some of the interesting moments would come from. And yeah. in the talk shows that I grew up with, there was a lot of that. You know, mm-hmm. Joe Franklin did it a lot, and Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin, all the everyone, you know, had that sort of format where it was, um, um, you, it would, a lot of the fun came from having these different types of people interacting. And, sure. Um, so, um, and then we'd have some regulars, um, we'd have, uh, Joey, the dancing monkey would, um, come out and dance sometimes. Um, I must point out that my girlfriend kind of looks at him as kind of like an Aztec God. She, <laughs> she's, he's my, he's always so happy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and he he would uh, expand sometimes into plate spinning or musical glasses, and um, but mostly dancing. And then yeah. uh, we'd have Austin Velez who would sing. Uh, I'm assuming he was a friend of your guy of you guys. Yeah, he was another guy from college. Yeah, yeah okay, I figured that. Um, yeah, He's, he was always very interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you know what he was going to do when he would come on? Uh, no, I mean, we, you know, I think we would know the song that he was planning to sing mm -hmm. when he was going to sing. And, um, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, um, he's, you know, a bit of a, an eccentric himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, um, who else? And then, oh, and early on we would have Kevin and his, uh, friend, Bub, uh, ventriloquist, um, uh, movie reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, not really ventriloquism, just using a ventriloquist. Yeah, it's one of the strangest things. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it was uh, it was watching a guy badly ad lib with himself, and it, it was just these long pauses and things that were so uncomfortable. And you guys, the fact that you let those sit, I loved. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> yeah, we would have kept doing those forever, but you know, uh, Kevin eventually he got married and had a family, and he just wasn't you know, feeling that was going to be a part of his life anymore. So, um, um, so we, yeah, we had to move on from Kevin. Um, but, um, yeah, so that would be, you know, that would be the, the, the bulk of the show. And then mm -hmm. if, um, um, you know, usually if somebody were a singer or a comic, we'd let them just kind of stand in front of the group and mm -hmm. do a performance. And then maybe if we had time at the end, we'd, we'd get to another, but, it it really wasn't you know it was it was just sort of loosely blocked out and and you know i think um uh you know now that i've worked professionally a number of years in tv like it, it there's a lot about it that i love that you know that we just had things so loose and we're able mm -hmm. to do so much uh, improvising and um but you know there um but but now looking at that through those lenses, um, you know, there are times with some of the legends that we had on mm -hmm. there, we did have some legends that, you know, I wish there could have been a little more time spent with questions with some of them. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it would have been at the expense of, of getting to everyone else and having the whole mix and having the interactions and, mm -hmm. and the reactions and all that. So, yeah. I, it's interesting around that, time uh late 80s into the early 90s um and a little bit beyond there was a trend um and i, and I don't know what took us there as as a generation but um that that whole looking back and in our case in indianapolis we were doing a thing kind of what you were doing called we called it secret cabaret which was it was kind of an anti-open mic where we would I always describe it to people. If you came in with a guitar and said, Hey, I do Cat Stevens covers, we'd be like, Yeah, okay. You'd never get on stage. But if you came with bagpipes and said, I do Cat Stevens covers, we're like, You're next. Go get it. <laughs> so it was, we, we were, as a generation, I think we were all kind of drawn to finding that fringe element and highlighting it. Um, and it shows, I mean, what we were doing ended up becoming a literal circus sideshow um, wow. that's still running today. Um, and, and that was, you know, you had Jim Rose, you had all these, these weird things just kind of coming out of the woodwork, suddenly becoming mainstream. 
Um, you guys were ahead of the curve on that. So it must have been a higher hill to climb. <laughs> I don't know, uh, Dylan. I mean, I don't I don't know that that interest, that public interest in in, you know, unusual performers. I don't know that it ever really goes away. You know, it's like you can look back into the, you know, early 1900s at Coney Island where they'd have these midget fills, you know, and yeah. they'd, actually they'd have them all over the country. Uh, you can go back like, further to Lepidamine. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, in in England, in Bedlam, the Bedlam Hospital, where, you mm -hmm. know, wealthy would pay to watch the the people in the asylum come yeah. perform, you know. And, um, and um, yeah, the sideshow has rich tradition and it just it just gets packaged differently for different generations you know yeah. and that's and a good yeah that's a good observation a lot of this stuff is you know it's it's embedded in um these a lot of talent shows you know when america's got talent has uh you know there there have been people that had been on beyond vaudeville or oddville mm -hmm. that you know wind up on america's got talent and it just um it just gets packaged differently but the I think the interest is always there in in um, in these characters and people that sort of march to their own beat. You mm -hmm. know, um, it's never going to be. You know, I, I don't I, I don't think it's ever going to be like huge mainstream. But there's no. always yeah. some room for it. You know. Yeah, it's a. I, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And um, it, finding shows like Beyond Vaudeville for me growing up in Southern Indiana, literally out of touch with everything. Um, you know, I, I lucked into these little underground tape networks from Fingoria magazine. <laughs> you find somebody in the back, Hey, I've got tapes to trade. You never knew what you were going to get. And sometimes you were unhappy with what you got, but you'd get these gems like beyond vaudeville. That's how I just, uh, also, um, stairway to stardom. I, I got tapes of stairway to stardom and I was, I, I didn't know what it was, but I loved every second. I, and so as those those things became more available over time, uh, for you guys, I'm wondering, did, I mean, did you even know that was going on? Um, yeah. I mean, we would hear um, from people in other parts of the country and that um, that surprised us. But it, it, it's exactly what you said about, you know, people just passing around tapes, you know, mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the, the, a lot of my favorite public access shows weren't preserved. You know, there was, um, uh, Frank Massey's Stairway to Stardom, you know, just benefited from two guys that, that befriended him and, mm -hmm. you know, and just got him to digitize his whole library. And, but in a lot of cases, um, that stuff was lost. Um, I have a pretty big collection cause I, I always, um, I'd, I'd be recording this stuff all the time. And mm -hmm. at one point we had, we went from two channels to four channels in New York of public access. And, um, and I was doing a segment for the daily show, um, called public access where yeah. you know, I would produce clips. Of public I meant access. to add that to your intro. I completely spaced it. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, I just bring it up because that was, you know, it, it really became a, a job at a certain point of just, mm -hmm. you know, monitoring what was on at all hours and recording it. And um, so, yeah, I, I do have like hours of this stuff, which is, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, over the years as I, you know, I'll, I'll dump some tapes on moves, get rid of some stuff, whatever, but those, sure. 
I never, yeah. <laughs> I've never with because they're, you know, they're just um, uh, ethereal. You know, they're yeah. Just, it's an amazing history to to yeah. keep keep on hand. Are, are do you have plans to digitize those? Maybe make um, them sure available. I'm, Eventually, you know, um, it's uh, it it really is a um, uh, a cool library, and and it's funny stuff shows up on YouTube. People, I guess, like yourself, who had um, videos that were mm -hmm. being passed around, um, are are digitizing. So there there is some of it out there to mm -hmm. to be found, but but there's some shows like um, Richard Rothman who had a great Richard Rothman uh, was a guy who. Uh, he was also an inspiration. He had a public access show early on in um, uh, the 80s uh, in New York where basically people would pay to uh, come on his show. And depending on how much you paid him was how much time you got. So <laughs> just have, um, and he was kind of he was the guy that when Joe Franklin wasn't going to ha have someone on his show, he would send them to. Richard Rothman. So you kind of had this next tier from Joe Franklin. So it was really um, a great lineup. And, and wow. we got a number of our guests came from, from appearances on Richard Rothman's show. Mm -hmm. And he would sit at his desk and he would uh, cram in into our little studio when he was doing his show, he'd have 20 people and they would all be, you wow. know, standing or sitting and all facing the camera, all looking at themselves up on the monitor at the ceiling. <laughs> And uh, and he would just rush them through. And you always knew the person that, you know, either wasn't giving him any donation or, you know, was giving him a very little donation because they would get, um, you know, 15 seconds. And he'd say, yes, <laughs> yes OK, OK. Uh, but, but the uh, uh, but those tended to be the people that, you know, we would then bring on our show. So they did get their 10 minutes. Or, yeah. <laughs> of the guests that you had and i mean it would take forever to touch on all of them which ones would you rank as like maybe your favorites and which ones were the ones that made you uncomfortable that made you a little scared <laughs> i think it runs the gamut um well if you're willing I mean, to say on the ladder that is you may not want to <laughs> yeah i mean outside of the celebrity guests you know I, um and one of my all-time favorites will always be suzanne muldowney mm -hmm. who um you know uh, uh friends had um told me to check her out at she was uh, showing up at science fiction conventions in mm -hmm. in uh, costume competitions um dressing up like underdog because she felt like the cartoon underdog had misrepresented underdog. He should have been a more meritorious character. And um, anyway, she was, uh, she is uh, extremely um, articulate and she is um, uh, there are just so many layers to Suzanne. Mm -hmm. um, and she is one of those people that, you know, you could just never get enough of, or I could never get enough of her. Yeah. And, Anytime she would come out, she would have plenty to say. And it wasn't just underdog. And it, eventually the layers of the onion would get peeled and you'd find out that she was really into also Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> and, and she would do these original uh, characters like Spectrum the Ghost King and and um, uh, and just very and she was very knowledgeable about all these things. So mm -hmm. 
Um, uh, at the same time, she also was among the scarier guests because she, um, uh, if if she felt provoked, as she might sometimes by David, you know, she would be very threatening. Um, um, I heard her in an interview talking about slapping a guy on Oddville after the wedding episode, <laughs> the guy who popped the balloon that oh, I think was actually yeah. a condom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She talked about that, going and just slapping the shit out of him. <laughs> that surprised him. And, um, and at one of the live shows we did at NYU, we had um, Al Lewis was emceeing and, um, and she was going to be doing her uh, Vlad the Impaler dance. It was mm-hmm. just coincidence that, you know, that, Grandpa Munster was there when she was doing her Taylor. <laughs> and then on top of that, we had this uh, comedy team of Book and Martino, and they were um, uh, wannabe um, uh, Martin and Lewis type comedy. Okay. Uh, in fact, Raymond Book, um, um, he had uh, studied with uh, Sammy Petrillo. He had. Wow. He, he, yeah. And we're going to uh, be talking about Sammy in a minute. um so they as part of their comedy uh routine they did a dracula bit with um you know book dressed up with the robe and he's you know doing this horrible accent oh the blood is (laughs) drowning in my blood and um again this was just by chance and suzanne is just seething like on the side like watching this and um, when they came backstage, she chased them down and she had her sword with her uh, for her Vlad the Impaler dance. And she was, you know, kind of holding it up over a uh, book and, and threatening to skewer him. And um, uh, they, I think they got away with a stern warning, um, but um, it, it was a little dicey there. Um, There you go. That's Rich Brown, part one. Part two will be up in a couple of weeks. If you haven't watched Beyond Vaudeville, I recommend going to their YouTube channel, checking out what they've got there. It is a great show. If you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously into weird shit. This is uh, about the pinnacle of weird shit. Uh, You're not going to get much weirder than Beyond Vaudeville. Pretty awesome. A lot of fun. tons of episodes out there i'll have a link in the bio here to their youtube channel so be sure to check that out you can also find them on facebook find rich brown there too uh hey if you're in the states with me let's have a great thanksgiving this week if you are in one of the many other countries where this podcast is being listened to you know what go ahead and take some time off for yourself you deserve it when you get out there in the world Take care of your servers because it's the Walter Paisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. Until next time, I'm Dylan Rory, and when we get the next time, I'll still be here. Later!